Good morning, church. This morning, I want to start off uh, with all of us finding a posture of receiving. So maybe placing your hands on your lap if you're comfortable or reaching them out uh, in reception. This morning, maybe it's something you need from God, a message from the Lord, peace from God, or just simply to be in this moment. So let's spend some time receiving. You can close your eyes, but let's be still before the Lord this morning. Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there's no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified with the flesh and with its passions and desires And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And the whole church said, amen. So I knew from an early age, uh, since I was a child, that I wanted to go into ministry, uh, which is an interesting thing on its own. But you know when you're a kid and you're in class and the teacher asks everyone to go around the room, maybe to introduce yourself. And then part of the question was, what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? And I always felt a little bit awkward telling people that I wanted to be a minister because I didn't know how my new friends were going to respond. As a kid or as a teenager, a lot of what I was looking for was acceptance. I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to do anything that might start my friendships or my relationships off on the wrong foot. But when I told people I wanted to go into ministry, there were usually just a couple of reactions. Like, oh, that's interesting. Or, oh, that's cool. Or just simply, oh, awkward silence. (laughs) And I didn't get it. I didn't understand why people reacted in that way because I had spent so much of my life growing up and growing up in front of others at my church building who thought it was amazing that I wanted to go into ministry, that praised me for wanting to go into ministry. So why did my peers seem disinterested or even fearful? I don't know if that's the right word, but in my gut, that's what I felt whenever I saw their reaction, some sort of fear or something that was holding them back, that my wanting to go into ministry changed their whole demeanor right in front of me. It's like they would stiffen up, like they'd watch what they'd say or how they reacted. When Jesus walked through towns, when Jesus walked through cities, when he met with tax collectors, when he met with lepers, when he taught, 
And when he performed miracles, people didn't turn the other way like they did when they saw the Pharisees coming their way. People followed him. They ran after him. They did so and even misunderstood some of the messages that he was trying to bring them. In Mark chapter 10, it says, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man said to him, teacher, I've kept all of these so well since I was a child. And on up and looking at him, Jesus loved him. And he said, one thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But at these words, the man was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. But a bit of this man's sadness was that he wasn't chosen right in that moment. That keeping the law of Moses wasn't an impressive enough resume to follow Jesus right then and there or to get what he was wanting, an answer for what he had to do to inherit eternal life. But see, even when Jesus gives a man a harsh reality and says, there's something you got to work on, he does it with compassion. He does it with gentleness. And there's a gentleness to Jesus that's evident in Scripture a, den- a gentleness that we're called to emulate, to put on each and every day to show to the people around us. Papa George and Miss Bonnie served for over 50 years at Highland Oaks Church of Christ where I grew up. George Baker, as he was formerly known, served as a shepherd most of that time and sang on the praise team and every week it was next to Miss Bonnie and he also served as the pastoral minister Miss Bonnie gives the best hugs and she looks deep into your eyes nothing gets past her but the best way that they served my church growing up was through their example of gentleness Their picture is next to the word in the dictionary. You just got to trust me. And know I'm not pulling your leg. My dad became an elder about 10 years ago. And it didn't take long for Papa George to pull him aside. Papa George was the man who visited every hospital room known to man. He was the one who was always there. When our preacher showed up when I was in high school, he shared with me that when their son was born, he was working in another church in the area. And so his son, after he was born, was having some breathing issues and needed surgery. A man he had never met, never heard of, came to their hospital room to hug their necks and to pray with them. It was Papa George. And when he wanted my dad to train under him to eventually 
be able to fill his shoes when he was gone. My dad felt immense pressure because there was no way my dad felt like he could be who Papa George was for other people. You could see their gentleness. You can see it. Gentleness does not go unnoticed. In John chapter 8, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down, knelt down, and he wrote in the dust with his finger. And they kept demanding an answer, so he stood up. And he said, all right, all right. Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again, wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. This story is my ultimate image of Jesus. I can see love in his eyes, not just for the woman when he speaks to her, but when he addresses the crowd and he surveys them and looks them over, I see the same love in his eyes. I can see his patience as they demanded things of him, and self-control on display, not being hurried or rushed or frustrated by the demands of the crowd. I can see the embodiment of all nine fruits of the Spirit in this one story, but most of all, I see gentleness. Gentleness with frustrating people, gentleness with harsh people, gentleness with someone who needs it most in a tense environment, with a delicate issue, during the most embarrassing and demoralizing moment in someone's life, having your sins out on display for everyone to see, we hate the sins that we can see. And yet Jesus gives the crowd a gentle reminder That just because their sins aren't on display, it doesn't mean they can't rear their ugly head and be shown through hatred and disdain for someone else's. This story is the ultimate how-to. You want to be a follower of Jesus? You should have to watch this training video. What I told people that I wanted to be a minister when I grew up, I didn't know. What I didn't know was that I'd have to fight an uphill battle. My new friends would react and stiffen up at the mention of Christianity or ministry. There was a worry in their eyes I had not experienced, a fear 
a pain that came off like a cold shoulder and what I didn't know because it wasn't my experience was that the church ministry ministers had caused some trauma in their own lives the church had not been a welcoming place for them they did not feel valued and empowered they thought of it as rules and traditions. They had been torn down by ministers, youth ministers, sermons. And what I realized over time was that something had to change. Through my tough conversations with these new friends and hearing their experience, my heart broke because they'd never heard the story of Jesus. They didn't have that image in their mind of a gentle savior. Through gentleness and continued friendship, trust was formed between me and my friends. It motivated me to want to become a different kind of minister and be a part of a church that, I was, that was different than the ones that had caused them and so many others so much pain. They became confident that no matter what, they did or who they were, I was going to love them, show them grace and the kindness that they deserved. Some of the best compliments I got from those friends who never wanted anything to do with church, and some of them still don't, was they would tell me I would come to a church that you worked for. Or they would say, I want you to perform my wedding. Why is gentleness often found in unexpected places? I love having a great Dane. I love dogs. I have a big dog. I like to take him in public because of the reactions he gets because not very many people get to see great Danes in their lives. It's not that common. And 99% of the time someone walks up, a family will slowly walk up to me with their eyes wide, like, oh my gosh, that thing looks like a horse. I hear that all the time. And they say, can we pet him? And I say, yeah, sure, he's the sweetest. But it's like that's not enough to convince them. And so they walk up slowly. A kid hides behind their parent's leg. And they reach out and they touch him. And they fall in love. When they touch him, it's like, okay, this is safe. This is good. He is gentle. This guy meant what he said. Andre the Giant. I became fascinated with Andre the Giant a couple of years ago. There was an HBO documentary that came out. Maybe some of you watched it. But one of my favorite parts was when the whole cast of The Princess Bride gathered to tell stories about Andre. Of course, how big his hands were, how big his head was. Everything about him was larger than life, obviously. But Robin Wright, the woman who played Buttercup in the film, said while they were filming some scenes, she was freezing. It was cold outside. And that in between takes, Andre would walk over to her and place his hand on her head. And she said, his hand would come down over my eyes. And it was like I had my own space here. He, was, he would warm me up in between scenes. And he was gentle and kind, but tragically misunderstood in the public eye. What I learned was he ended up 
kind of retiring to this ranch in North Carolina. Uh, and that's where he lived out his days with animals. And what he said about living there and living with the animals was that they never looked at him twice. They never stared at him. They never yelled harsh words at him because he was different. It's tragic that the gentlest of beings tend to be treated the harshest. I think the real question this morning is, why is gentleness unexpected? Wives and husbands, spouses, you expect gentleness from your partner, yes? Kids, teens, you expect gentleness from your parents and your family. Church, you expect gentleness from your ministers and shepherds unless you've been treated harshly, unless you've experienced abuse or trauma or pain. Then you don't trust others to show gentleness towards you, the things you believe, the things you say you believe are going to be met with harshness. So why show it to them, right? Why be gentle towards someone else if I'm not going to receive gentleness? Why is gentleness not expected of us? Us, the church, Christ followers. Because we fail to show gentleness to the people who need it most. People we don't understand. People who think differently than we do. People who don't go to church on Sunday. And I feel convicted most days, church. I feel convicted when I look at the world, the evil, the chaos. I convicted, I feel convicted that a majority of people look at me as a Christian and they see someone in the crowd holding a stone. Or they see me walk down the street and they turn the other way. And I want to cry out and plead with them that I'm not like the ones who've hurt them. I'm different. And I'm convicted because people look at me. When they look at me, I want them to see me down in the dust with the ones who have their sins on display for everyone to see. And I want to show gentleness I want to show compassion, and I want to show grace. I want them to see that from you too, because then and only then will they realize that we serve a God who gently picks them up out of the dirt instead of tearing them down. That the picture they have of the church, ministers, Christians, is wrong. I want to give them a new picture, a new image. I want to give them a chance and chance and chance after chance to have an encounter with God, don't you? Isn't that what you want too? A change must happen if we want people who don't already know Christ to walk through these doors. It's great that you all are here, but my guess is that for most of you, going to church has been a part of the majority of your life. What about them? What about them? Who is going to show them 
gentleness that they deserve? Who's going to change the image that they have in their heads? Who is going to get down in the dirt and lift them up instead of tearing them down? If not us, the people who claim to be led by God. If not us, the people who boast about the mighty things that he's done in our lives. The people whose stories are about grace and forgiveness and gentleness that they don't deserve the people who have been changed by the ministry of Christ, the people who have been changed by the waters of baptism, if not us, then who? If not us, then who? There are people in this room and outside of these walls who need you. There are people who deserve a better look at what following Jesus is all about. There are people whose only experience with the church and its people who have been treated harshly that need you. People should expect gentleness in this place. Out of you, out of me. Matthew 11, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. I will receive you with gentleness. I will receive you and you will finally feel relief. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Church, this morning, if you want to be a part of the change, if you want to make a difference, if you want to live into the call of Jesus, if you want to live into the change that has happened to you because you made the decision to be baptized, to follow him, to put that out on display for everyone to see. If you've been treated harshly, if you want to drop your stone, step out of the crowd and lean down in the dust, then come forward this morning. We're all welcome at his feet. Come now as we stand, as we sing.